0: Well, wonderful to be sitting down with Israel and Juliana, all of us have a story to tell. Uh, This fine couple and their two boys uh, came to arrive in Canada in February of this year. Why don't you introduce your family a little bit and uh, just we'll talk about your story. So my name is Israel,
1: I'm married with Juliana since it has been 12 years marriage already. This is Vicente, my
0: oldest. This is Benicio. Quite a journey to get to Canada. Why don't you tell us that story? Because God's been in it.
2: Eight years ago, I discovered immigration in Canada, and I become fascinated. I talked to Israel, and our hearts become fascinated about the possibility to come here. Uh, Before we start dating, we discussed about one day to live abroad and we started to to give uh, steps. We are young, we had no money, no work experience, but we started to pray and give steps. One day, in our church in Brazil, appeared a guy from Chile, we never met him before. He knows nothing about our history, our desires, our dreams, and he started to, to Prophesize and at the same time confirm that God one day will send us to a new land A lot of miracles started to happen We had the opportunity to go to US and study English Was a completely miracle because as I said we had no money One year later, I were invited to return to US with everything paid Our history of miracles continue
1: yeah it was mm-hmm. a kind of too, too big dream to become true but our god provided the provisions to us because it was really a miracle to have uh, to go to have studies in, in united states it was a miracle before we get married actually we are we're just dating we are discussing how many kids would like to have where we would like to live. And then God started to connect all the, the desires. Yeah. But also he pushed us to make steps. So it was challenging because God was saying to us, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous and go, go for it. So yeah. we started to, to sell our... Some, sometimes we had to pay for translations, documents, we, we sold some kitchen appliances, personal items, to, to pay the translation.
0: So how did you end up in Canada?
1: Tell, know, me, tell us that part of the story. And the, the one situation was that I was working, I was invited to work in Rio de Janeiro. We, we felt that was a, like a, an internship before Canada. So oh. we decided to go to Rio de Janeiro. We have been living there for five years, so the boys the boys, there. The boys we
2: were, born, were there.
1: born there. We had a situation there that it was really difficult to keep there. We thought that God was shutting that door, and then we decided to go back to the, our hometown. <clears throat> and uh, I was really frustrated about to get back to my hometown. And God was telling us to be strong and courageous and take back the the project to Canada. So we decided to move to Juliana's parents' house.
2: We sold everything. We sold everything we had. Everything.
1: We applied for the study visa. And God also shut the door. But two months later I got a job offer to come to Canada as a a skilled worker. They came
0: looking for you.
1: Yeah. Wow. Oh. So I got this job offer. I it was completely
0: miracle. I can see this. I lo- I love your story, and 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 what I liked about it was this this praying, but planning too. Yeah. And and sometimes we pray 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 and God's inviting us to do something and no God you look after everything you prayed you planned. You've ended up in Canada. God's blessing you guys. Yeah. And we welcome you to our country and we welcome you to the neighborhood church. Love you. Bless you. And folks, Thank if you, you don't know uh, Israel and Juliana yet, introduce yourself. Get to know them. Find, fine people and their sons. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Great couple, encourage you to get to know them. Depending on their work schedule, they either attend the Pine House venue on Saturday night. When they're here on Saturday, they're usually sitting over there a bit. And uh, when uh, they're here Sunday, they also sit over there. So get to, get to know them, bless you. They asked me to tell you this part of their story too. Did you remember the prophet who spoke, came from Chile, didn't know anything about them? Uh one of the things he prophesied was that they would get to a new land, and they also would be the parents of princes prin- princes and a princess. Well, they've got two princes up there. You saw the picture. They wanted me to tell you that uh, there's a princess on the way now, too. So uh, very excited for, uh, for both of them. Uh, we're continuing our series on stories, and uh, today we're going to look at a guy named Luke, but before we dive in, let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, there's a a really strong (laughs) message you want us to hear tonight from the life of Luke. And I just invite you to come and give us uh, spiritual ears that really want to hear it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You kind of never met a person in your life, and yet if they keep showing up, on your Facebook page and you read their comments, read their opinions, read what excites them, read what upsets them, you do that long enough and you get to feel like, I really know that guy. I really know that person. And you do all of it just by (laughs) reading what matters to them, what impacts them, what stirs their passions. Luke is a strange guy to preach on. When I took on this challenge in this series, I thought this is gonna be fun, I get to talk about Luke. And then I discovered that Nobody really talks about Luke in the Bible. And I said, well, how am I gonna talk about this guy when nobody ever says anything about him? And then I realized I have a window to his soul in what he's written. So what do we know about Luke for sure? First of all, we know that he was a physician. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Uh, he was a fi- uh, physician. He was, he was loved. Uh, a commentary that was written in the second century. The prologue to the commentary. Uh, by uh, the anti-Marcionites, I think they're called, uh, said this, Luke was born in Antioch, by profession was a physician. He'd become a disciple of the Apostle Paul and later followed Paul until Paul's martyrdom. He died at the age of 84 years. So that's at the top, the prologue, the introduction to the commentary of Uh, the Marcionite commentary of the book of Luke. we know that much about him. Uh, He was a physician, of course. Physicians didn't have all the medical advances that we have right now. What I have been able to discover about physicians in the time of the Roman Empire is they emphasized a few things that... uh, didn't don't seem that unfamiliar to me proper diet get some exercise uh, and they did very little surgery because almost everybody they operated on died Um, so they uh, live well by eating well and uh, make sure you exercise and they were absolutely convinced absolutely convinced that cabbage solved almost everything so buy cabbage eat cabbage if you get a cut put cabbage on top of the cut cabbage 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 was the solution so Luke was a a physician that's one thing we know for sure the second thing we know for sure is he was a friend of the apostle Paul traveled with him and did ministry with him uh, here are some portions, I'm not going to take time to read them, uh, where we see Luke has inserted himself in the actual story of Paul's ministry, Acts 1610 10, 20, uh, 5 to 15, 21, 1 to 18, Acts 28, 1 to 16. Luke is there as an actual participant in Paul's life and ministry. And then the third thing we know for sure about Luke is he was a historian and an author. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have taken undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also. So Luke says, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke says, what I am writing here is an orderly account of what I know about the things you've been taught. So he's a historian and he's an author. And then you get to the second volume of his book, and you should really get into these two volumes. This is great reading. Get to the second volume, Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4. In in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's got volume 1. He's written it to Theophilus. Get to the book of Acts. It's volume 2. It is also written to Theophilus. Luke uh, has 19,482 words in it. It is the longest book in the New Testament. Longest book in the New Testament. Uh, Next slide. He uh, wrote uh, 28% of the New Testament, more than the Apostle Paul. So more of the New Testament is written by Luke than anyone else. <laughs> Seems to me uh, we probably need to pay attention to what he has to say. And so we get into the book of Luke and we get into the book of Acts and we quickly learn what matters to him and uh, what mattered in his life. And I would want to take that a second step tonight. And suggest what should matter to us as well. And so I'm going to give you two things tonight. And the first one is that, is that the Holy Spirit is at the center of the gospel story. The Holy Spirit is at the center of the gospel story, Dr. Daryl uh, Bonk, no, sorry, Bulk, Block, Dr. Daryl Block, has spent a great deal of time uh, studying the life of Luke, and he said this. He said, "I wish Luke 3:16 was as famous as John 3:16 in most Christians' lives." I wish Luke 3.16 was as famous in most Christians' lives as John 3.16 is. Let me read to you uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, presuming that most of you know John 3.16. John answered them all, Luke 3, verse 16, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 talks about Jesus. Two observations. He says, I'm not even worthy to undo the straps of his sandals. Most uh, servants in the Roman Empire would consider undoing the straps of somebody's sandals beneath them. Even a servant wouldn't do that. And John is saying, I, I'm not even worthy to undo this. What he's saying is, you may be impressed with what I've been doing. <laughs> But Jesus is coming and Jesus is going to do something much, 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 much greater. Much greater. And what is it that he is going to do? He is going to baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. Luke understands that God's work is done and God's. Methods are accomplished always by the Holy Spirit. We're introduced. So John John the Baptist is here in chapter 3. We're introduced to him in John chapter 1. Uh, or sorry, Luke chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verses 14 uh, to 16. And what do we read about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1? verses 14 uh, to 16. Look it up in your Bibles if you got one with you tonight. Uh, Luke chapter 1, you will have joy, talking about Elizabeth, about this son she was going to have named John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He will not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So, John's coming, and how is John going to do do ministry? John is going to do ministry as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we get introduced uh, to the Virgin Mary in verse number, uh, in Luke chapter uh, 1. And, and, she has an angel visit her, and, and uh, he says, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be a mom. And he says, no, I'm not, I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Luke 1, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. How's God's work going forward? Luke sees the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the story. Zachariah is John the Baptist's uh, uh, dad and when he was told that uh, his wife was going to have a baby, um he was a little skeptical and says, Well, you don't want to believe me, then you can't talk till the baby comes. Some of you would like it if your husband wouldn't talk as much as he does. Uh, but I think that's rare, and uh usually you want us to be going in the other direction. But so she had she had some quiet bunch here. And then uh, when the child is born, he writes on a little tablet. They wanted to know what to name him. They thought he should be named Zachariah because that's what his dad's name is, is. He said, I got a great name for him. I love it. His name is John. What a great name, eh? Uh, his name is John. And as soon as he said that, verse number 67, chapter 1, his father, Zachariah, was filled with the uh, Holy Spirit and prophesied. Luke, reading Luke, friends, is different than leading Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke sees in this entire story the working, the presence, the empowerment of Holy Spirit. Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit prophesied. I don't know if my friend Simeon is coming to church this Christmas or not. But he's in Luke chapter 2 and uh, and verse number 25. And uh, there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was... Upon him, and it, re- it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. You're not going to die, Simeon, until you've seen the Messiah. And he came into the in the Spirit into the temple. So he's the Spirit is upon him. Uh, the Holy Spirit is revealing things to him. The Holy Spirit uh, is on him when he goes into the temple. And what does he say about this Jesus he picks up and holds in his hands? Verse number 32. He will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Here's the second thing we need to learn from Luke. The gospel story is for everyone. This is a revelation here. <laughs> Simeon, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, revealed things being revealed to him by the Spirit, has the Spirit of God all over him when he's in the temple. And he says, this Jesus I'm holding, this Messiah I'm holding, is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Luke is fascinated by the work of the Holy Spirit, and Luke is fascinated by the reality that when Jesus came, he wasn't just concerned about Jewish people. He came for all the nations. So a big part of Luke is called the journey to Jerusalem. Mark also deals with the journey to Jerusalem. When Mark deals with the journey to Jerusalem, in chapter 10, verse 32, he says, uh, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. This is his journey to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. Last time he's going to Jerusalem. Mark 10, 32. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, half a chapter later, he's in Jerusalem. Half a chapter later, he's in Jerusalem. In Luke, uh, And uh, should be next slide here. Luke 9, uh, it starts, and uh, Luke says Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And in 10 chapters, 10 chapters later, (laughs) Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Luke's fascinated with something in there. He takes 10 chapters, and he shows that Jesus is not just spending all of his time ministering to Jewish people, Uh, He's taking time to reach the lost and the last and the least. Get to Luke chapter 15, which is a highlight, kind of the centerpiece of this story. And, and he tells parables about the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost, the lost son. Uh, Luke is captivated by the reality that Jesus came to reach the lost. Jesus just didn't come to go to the synagogue with all the righteous Jewish people. Jesus came to reach the lost. Luke chapter 19 uh, is the story of uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He was so tiny that he had to get up on trees to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus, as tiny as he was, was a very successful man financially. You see, he was, verse number two, or the second line under Luke 19, 1 to 10 on the screen, he was a chief tax collector. They despised the the world, the Jewish people despised tax collectors and they really despised chief tax collectors because chief tax collectors were the bosses of all the tax collectors and they were taking some off the top of all, all the tax collectors. Getting money, making money off of the misfortunes of others lowest of the low but Jesus shows up in his house we read this at the bottom of the screen verse 10 today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost Jesus was passionate about the lost and Luke's noticing this Luke is noticing that Holy Spirit always seems to be doing something and he's noticing that Jesus is driven with this passion for the lost people spends a lot of time visiting Samaritan towns too Samaritans uh, Jews didn't like Samaritans you know why the true Jews didn't like Samaritans well, if you've, understood, stood the, if you've understood or have studied the history of Israel, you know the first three kings of Israel are Saul, David, Solomon. And then after Solomon, uh, the nation split. And Judah was to the south, and what we now call Israel is to the north. Judah worshipped in Jerusalem. Mount Zion, Samaritans chose their own king and developed their own place to worship. They didn't worship at the right synagogue. They didn't worship in the right city. They had split. And so the Jews would have nothing to do with these rebellious people. And they considered their worship, as much as it was rooted in the laws of Moses, they considered it terrible because they weren't coming to the right church building on Saturday. Those terrible, terrible Samaritans. And Jesus reaches out to them. Jesus goes out of his way to spend time with them and to interface with them tells a story about a good Samaritan. What? There's such a thing as a good Samaritan? Jesus begins to elevate them because Jesus came for everybody. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves everybody. My wife woke me up in the middle of the night about four nights ago. Singing at the top of her lungs. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Woke me up, took me an hour to fall back asleep kept reminding me that myself, that Jesus loves her. (laughs) Jesus loves the world. It's the gospel story. It's the gospel story. Didn't just come for the Jewish people. Tenth leper, he elevates him. He's the one who comes back and says, says, thank you. In the writings of Luke, in the writings of Luke, uh, this theme of the gospel being for the whole world just keeps on popping up over and over again. Luke chapter twenty-four, Luke chapter twenty-four, uh, verses uh, forty-eight and uh, and forty-nine. Well, let's start at verse forty-seven. The the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. So the gospel, the gospel is to all nations. All nations. Luke keeps emphasizing that as he works his way through the story. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So this is his second volume. Uh, John baptized you with water, uh, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And verse number 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jews like that because Jerusalem was the holy place. This was the holy mountain. This was the place you should go to church on Saturday and in all Judea, what, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Luke understands that the gospel is for everyone. And then the Holy Spirit falls. He's fascinated by the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always at the center of the gospel story. Where the gospel's going forward, the Holy Spirit will always be there. He's at the center. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And clove and tongues like his fire appeared on all of them they're all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and then you read the story as it goes on and everybody's in jerusalem and they're hearing it and they're saying what is going on here these guys are all galileans And yet they're talking to us in our own language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians are hearing them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Luke is fascinated that the gospel is a story that everyone is getting to hear. This is Luke's passion, Luke's heart. Is Holy Spirit's at work? All we see is the Holy Spirit at work. And then he sees the nations hearing the gospel. And friends, now 2,000 years later, <laughs> earlier in this service, We have concrete evidence that the gospel's gone to the ends of the earth. We have people from Argentina and Brazil and Cuba and Denmark and Eritrea and India and Indonesia and Iran and Kenya and Mexico and New Zealand. We have people from all over the world who've been impacted by the gospel. It's not just for the Jews. We've got Nigerians and people from Mexico and New Zealand and Peru and the Philippines and Sweden. In the neighborhood church, we've seen that this story is true. It is for all people, Syria and Trinidad and Tobago and Uganda, United Kingdom, the USA, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and there's even a few of us Canadians. The gospel is for the entire world. And you say, well, yeah, we know that. But this was brand new when Luke was writing the story. Luke was writing the story. (laughs) This was something that was limited to a small group that lived around Jerusalem. Amazing. Luke is writing this. (laughs) and it's like he's looking into the future. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Pastor Louie, come on up and, and help me here. I am so proud of the neighborhood church. Not, so some of you might want to email me and say, Pastor, you're not supposed to be proud. It's not, it's not an ungodly pride. It's a delight in what God has been doing in the neighborhood church. And this, to me, is just absolutely exciting. From from 2002 to the end of last month, 2002, April of 2002, the end of last month, the neighborhood church has given... $3,070,000 three million and seventy thousand dollars to needs outside of our own work and our own ministry. Friends, God has stirred us, stirred our heart with an understanding that the gospel is for everyone and we need to be doing our part. We need to be doing what we can do to see the gospel, the work of the gospel going forward. And so we help the homeless and the hungry week after week after week. We help Horizon College and Seminary. We help the work of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and Saskatchewan. We minister and pour into monies and ministries like this. The bridge and uh, so many others right here in the city of Saskatoon. We pour into countries around the world $3,070,000 worth of money have left this church because the gospel matters and the gospel is for everyone. (laughs) Gospel story is for everyone. rich and the poor, the employed and the unemployed, the healthy and the sick, the black and the white, and the red and the yellow, the young and the old, male and female. Gospel is for everyone. And Luke got it. And Luke understood that (laughs) the only way this powerful message works As if we're leaning into the Holy Spirit, relying on him. Two passions of Luke. The work of God is a work of the Spirit of God that brings fullness of life. You see, Luke, when Luke thought of the gospel, he didn't just see a story of Sinners being forgiven. Luke saw a story of sinners being forgiven and immersed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in fullness of life. The gospel story is not just forgiveness It's an outpouring of the Spirit of God in our lives that helps us live life to the fullest. And then he understood that the gospel's for everyone. One of the problems we have is we rewrite history over time to make the story uh, fit our preconceived ideas of what history really should be. So we see history as it was and not as it really was. We see it as what we've been passed down from generation to generation instead of the truth. Francis Asbury had this to say, In 1974, a Methodist bishop said in the American frontier, not one in a hundred came here to get religion, but rather to get plenty of good land. Some of us long and yearn for a return of those righteous days when people were (laughs) immigrating, moving to North America. The Methodist bishop says, <laughs> About one in 100 love God. Man came over from Scotland, uh, Andrew Fulton, Presbyterian ministry missionary, and he said this In all the worldly, newly formed towns in the Western colony, colony, there are a few religious people. Huh? We grunt and we groan about how bad things are now. The same thing that changed North America 250 years ago is what'll change it now. It's a hungering and a thirsting for Holy Spirit. Luke saw that it was the Holy Spirit who was doing this. He saw the gospel was going forward because of of Holy Spirit. And so there was a pastor named Barton W. Stone, S-T-O-N-E, he was pastoring a church in Kentucky, an unassuming church called the Cane Ridge Church that was planted, built in the middle of a hill. And uh, Pastor Barton W. Stone had a hunger for God to do something so in August of 1801 they decided to let everybody know that they were going to have a communion service and they wanted everybody to come now 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 I don't know about you but this had to be a work of the spirit of God because I don't see people thronging to church because we announce it's communion weekend But they thought they'd get a good crowd and they put up a big tent in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. And 25,000 people showed up. And while they took communion together Holy Spirit began to move. People began to fall on the ground. People began to weep. People began to repent. And for those who have studied the history of the United States, many have concluded it was the greatest outpouring of evangelical fervor and conversion the United States of America ever did had but it didn't happen it didn't happen because they built a tent <laughs> was an act of faith that God responded to, but it happened because Holy Spirit was there. And friends, the greatest thing we need to be called back to as a church is an understanding that our future does not rest in a new pastor, and I'm excited for you, Pastor Louis, but that's not where the future is. Futures in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, longing for Him and hungering for Him. And you know, when that happens, you know, when that happens, our eyes begin to see a world that needs Jesus, and we understand the gospel's for everyone because the holy spirit's alive in us. Love Luke. I love Luke. And I love the understanding he had of the gospel. And what makes the gospel work? Can we stand? Can we stand? Can we, in closing tonight, just cry out for a fresh touch, fresh outpouring, fresh hunger for Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. Maybe some of you would like to come stand at the altar. That's fine. Maybe you want to kneel where you are. I just think we need to take some time and say, Holy Spirit, Come again, come afresh, come in a rich way, come in a strong way, come in a wonderful way.